and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. A blessed resurrection Lord's Day to all of you. Christ is risen. Today, with great joy, beginning at John chapter 19, verse 38, Pastor Elliot preaches Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead. In so doing, Pastor will unpack some of the wonderful details which surrounded the time when the Lord Jesus Christ arose from the dead. And now with his message for today is Pastor Robert Elliott. I want to begin by saying, bless the Lord for Joseph of Arimathea. He was a man of means, he was rich, but more importantly, he was a man of very devoted love for Jesus Christ. At verse 38, I'm reading through verse 42. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted him permission. And he came, therefore, and took away his body. And Nicodemus came also, who had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, on account of the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Yes, Joseph of Arimathea asked for his Lord's body. We see that in verse 38. Now, if Joseph hadn't have asked, what would have happened to the Savior's body? We can't be certain, but we do know that haters of Jesus would have had an opportunity, a precedent, to desecrate his body. You see, on the southwest side of Jerusalem, there was a valley. It's still there. It was a valley which had perpetual fire burning in it, sulfur burned in this valley. It served as the city of Jerusalem's city dump. The valley in Hebrew has the name Hinnom, and in Greek, this valley's name is Gehenna. As you know, the scriptures portray some of what hell will be like by this literal valley southwest of the city of Jerusalem, the valley of Hinnom or Gehenna that served as the city's garbage dump. And back in Jesus' day, it was not uncommon for the bodies of executed criminals to be put into that valley unceremoniously like they were trash. Joseph of Arimathea couldn't bear to have that prospect happened to his precious Savior. And so he asked for the Lord's body, which was a risk in and of itself. He was granted that body, and along with Nicodemus, who came to Christ in John chapter 3 by night and was saved, the two men began to embalm the Lord Jesus' body in the proper Jewish way. I love it that Joseph of Arimathea stuck his neck out and requested the body. I love it that he rolled up his sleeves and prepared the body for burial. And I love it that he gave up his brand new tomb and it housed the body. These 
acts of kindness were directly linked up to Joseph of Arimathea's genuine and devoted love for his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first takeaway for us in these verses this morning is this. Devoted love for Jesus Christ always shows up in kind acts. On we go into chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, please. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Apparently, for Mary Magdalene, the thought of someone uh, moving the Lord's body or stealing the Lord's body was really what was on the forefront of her mind. Resurrection was apparently not even on the radar screen of her contemplations. Verses 3 and 4. Peter, therefore, went forth and the other's disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. John was quicker than Peter afoot. Some of you, like me and my wife, have been to Jerusalem's garden tomb, a beautiful place. Of all the special sites in the Holy Land, this is the only site that is held possessed and administered by born-again evangelical Christians. The society of born-again believers holds the garden tomb. And in so doing, they do not let any tourists from any part of the globe into the garden tomb to tour it, except that an evangelical born-again Christian tour guide escort those people through the garden tomb and into the empty sepulcher, giving the gospel by which we are saved to every single person who wants to see the garden tomb. It's a marvelous thing. And as you walk into that garden tomb, you are impressed that on your left is an open area. They call it the weeping chamber. And on the right are two stone beds. The one furthest into the tomb is where the Lord Jesus' body lay, carved right out of stone. It's a cave that's all stone, stone floor, stone walls, stone ceiling, stone burial beds. And the bed that Jesus Christ's body was laid on as you go into that tomb is in the upper right-hand corner. And then another bed that has never been used by any deceased body was opposite Jesus Christ's burial bed in stone. And then between the two beds, on the carved out of the edge of the stone wall, between the two beds was a a ledge, maybe 12 to 14 inches wide. You do recall that in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel writers said there was an angel seated on the right inside the tomb. The angel sat on that 12 to 14 inch wide stone ledge between Jesus' burial bed and the burial bed that was not yet used by anyone else. Yes, they came to an empty tomb. The body of our Lord and Savior was not there. The grave wrappings were, but his body was not there. Verses 5, 6, and 7. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. 
But Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Maybe some of you have heard what I have heard, that there is a Jewish custom that if a person left the dining room table as a Jew, not intending to return to come back to the table to finish a meal, then he would crumple his napkin, his dinner napkin. But in Jewish circles, the person, the diner, who was at that dining room table, leaving it for any reason, but expecting and and planning to return to the table to continue the meal, would neatly fold the dinner napkin and leave it at his place at the table, indicating he was not finished, he was coming back. Praise God, Jesus Christ rolled up the face cloth that had been on his once dead face, separated it from the other linen wrappings to give indication that he was coming back to life, to earth, for his church. You know, the scriptures tell us we do not know the time the date of his coming. But we can look around and see current events, and they lead me to think that perhaps his coming for the church is soon. Under the skin computer chips, which ID pets but also humans, tracking animals but also can track humans, under the skin computer chips very soon being able to transact business, People with these chips under their hands will be able to scan them at Grand Union or Walmart and never have to pull out a wallet. The technology is all there. Jewish rabbis presently, quietly, blueprinting and gathering materials to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount of Jerusalem. It's happening while I speak. Movement toward a one-world government and a one-world currency the whole world clamoring for a leader to bring about global peace, starting in the Middle East. Iran, with a nuclear bomb very much in its sights. China as a superpower. The European Common Union, well entrenched at this point, with its own currency. A compromising and lukewarm Church of Jesus Christ in most quarters. These things and others lead me to think that the timing of the Lord's return for his church could be very soon. And so an application point, be ready for your bridegroom's return for you as a portion of the bride of Christ. Be ready. How be ready? Be pure in your mind, in your body, be pure, be ready, be faithful, be faithful in your handling of money, in the handling of your spiritual gifts, in the handling of the gospel. Be faithful. Be in love with Jesus Christ. Have him as your deepest treasure, your highest good. Be in love with Jesus Christ. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. 
Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas Rogers, and I am the youth pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And this morning we want to pick up where we left off last time as we talked about peer pressure and how we need to understand as, as believers, we need to stay away from the crowd that's going to cause us to stumble, cause us to fall into sin. And we want to come into a passage of scripture this morning to, in Ephesians chapter 5, 7, 11, that talks a little bit more of how we need not to be partners with the world. You see, our culture throws everything at us. Our culture tells us that we need to fit in. We need to do whatever it is to fit in because we want to be accepted by the world. But I want to tell you, if your friends are influencing you towards doing what is wrong, stand for what is right. Stand in for what is right. Let me just say this. You will not have people that follow you in a way that you would want. But when you stand up for what's right, hopefully those people will respect you. Because when we stand up for what's right, it's going to go against what the world tells us is right. And if we are born-again believers, we need to recognize that Christ wants us to stand up for him. Ephesians 5, 7, 11 says this, Therefore, do not be partners, or do not be friends with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Again, this passage is telling us that we must not be friends with the world. We are to be strangers. We are to be, the, some versions say, aliens. We are to be so strange to the things of the world that we will not fit in. You see, we must recognize that as Christians, we are not to fit in this world. We are not to put ourselves in the world's mold, but we are to put in the mold of Christ. Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are what is supposed to be shown in our life. These are what people are supposed to see. And this is what people, as, as peer pressure comes into play, as people squeeze us, this is what should be seen in us, these fruit of the Spirit. And you may be listening to this one, you may say, well, I'm young, I cannot make a difference. And let me tell you, that's what the world will tell you. The world tells us that we must always just look at the older people. But let's be real. The Bible tells us differently. The Bible tells us that you as young people, you can make a difference because you know what? You need to be an example. 1 Timothy 4.12, as Paul is talking to Timothy, he says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. You see... Young people, as we, as we think of what, what he's telling us is this, don't let no one look down on you because you're young. Don't let someone tell you you can't do something because you are too young to do that. Take a stand for Christ. Take a stand for, for whatever it is God has called you to. And we must recognize that as we take a stand, again, it's not going to be popular in the world's eyes. You know, in our world, as, as we have looked at earlier, as we think of culture, we have talked so much about how much the culture throws things at us and, and they say this is acceptable, but we know that God's word tells us that it's not. Another point that I want to look at is this. Moving away from what is, what is wrong is a good start. But we also must remember as we move away from what's wrong, we must move toward what is right. You see, so many times people will tell you if, if you're involved in, in addictions as drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, they'll tell you to just stop doing that. And let's be real, that's not an easy thing to do. And you may be listening this morning, you may be a young person who struggle with, with drugs, smoking cigarettes, or whatever it may be. Let me tell you something. You may say, I'm going to stop that. But the reality is you can stop that, but you need to move towards something else. And 2 Timothy 2, 22 says this, 
flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Let's understand what this is saying. This is telling us to flee our evil desires of our youth. Flee those things that are, are, are trouble to us. Flee those, you know, whether it be pornography, whether it be drugs, whether, whatever it may be, you must flee it. But it doesn't stop there because it tells you to pursue something. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith, love, and peace. This is what God has called us to be. God has called us to be a light in this world. God has called us to be different in the world. But too many times we allow ourselves to fall into the trap of just saying to ourselves and to people that I'm just hanging out with these people. I'm just there. I'm not really doing what they're doing. I remember as a teenager growing up, and I remember a time when I was invited to a party um, and there was alcohol at the party. And some of my friends were, were drinking and, you know, they were smoking. And, and, I, and I said to myself, this is not where I want to be. Yes, I, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't partake in what they were doing. And I could have easily just said, you know what, I'm going to stay here. But I knew that in my, my conviction that I should not be there. So I called for someone to pick me up and, you know, to go home because I just did not want to be there. And you see, this is why, as we looked at last week, 1 Corinthians 15, is a verse that we must always think of to ourselves, and it, it changes our whole perspective. And it says this, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Again, as we think of peer pressure, and again, as we think of just the different incidents that have happened in our, our country for the last couple of weeks of, of young people, people being killed and stabbed, we must remember that when we hang with bad company, it's going to corrupt the good that we are doing. People aren't going to see the good that we are doing. It's going to see the company that we surround ourselves, and they're going to say, why are you hanging with those people? You must be a part of them. You see, God, again, as we have been reminded, He wants us to take a stand. So I challenge you, young person, as you are listening this morning, as you are thinking of the friends you are choosing, you must ask yourself this question. What type of friend do you want to be? What type of friend do you want in your life? Do you want a friend that's going to build you up, that's going to encourage you, that's going to you know, be there for you when you take a stand for what is right? Or do you want friends that are going to make you compromise your faith, compromise the very thing that means the most to you, which is your relationship with Jesus Christ, the only thing that will last forever? You see, as I close and as I, as I think of this, I want you to remember this. You may be a 12th grader, you may be a senior, whatever, in high school. The reality is that when you leave high school, for the most part, your friends are going to change. You're not going to be with those people. For me, I graduated in the 2000, and a lot of my classmates I don't see anymore. The people who I, you know, wanted to be accepted by. But today I thank the Lord for His grace and His mercy that He has taught me to be different. He has taught me to flee those evil desires of my youth. And now I pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And I challenge you to do the same. I challenge you to don't let bad company corrupt your good character. Again, this is Pastor Nicholas, and I want to thank you for listening. And I hope that you would make wise choices as you choose the friends that you have. And now, today's ministry spotlight. 
Well, I'm in the studio this morning with my friend from seminary, Dale Losh. Morning, Dale. Good morning, Rob. Good, Good to be with you. Excellent to have you. And uh, Dale serves as the president of the Cross World Mission, which has, I think you said, a little over 300 uh, missionaries serving around the globe. Is that accurate? That's right. About 300 in about 30 uh, different areas of the world. Wow. And would, would there be a predominating area or continent where your missionaries are serving? Uh, it's, it's changing uh, over the last number of years. Uh, we have a large concentration in Europe, uh, but where we are seeing the greatest growth would be in Asia. In Asia. Yeah. Fantastic. As you serve as president of Crossworld and you're in conversations, no doubt, with other presidents of other evangelical mission boards. And what kind of general trends do you see in missions these days, general things that are happening? It's um, maybe a little difficult to put my finger on one or two because it seems like there are, are quite a few things happening. Uh, one that um, I've alluded to uh, this weekend as I've visited with you and, and the church family here yes. uh, would be the, the shift uh, or what might be called a closure of uh, the door to our traditional means of entry into a lot of places. Uh, if you go back a uh, hundred years in, in the history of uh, Christian mission, uh, we sent a lot of people to places like Africa and India and China and uh, at the time, um, you would go in as a vocational religious worker. Yes. Um, today, 60% of the world is now closed to entry as a religious worker. Hmm. And uh, many of, uh, much of that 60% would be the parts of the world that would be considered least reached. So that, that's a huge trend because uh, unless we um, change our approach, uh, we are going to have the door closed to us. Now, that doesn't mean that the gospel uh, cannot reach those people. Uh, God has all kinds of creative ways of reaching people with the gospel, but we believe the Great Commission has not been revoked, and that is that we are to continue going and making disciples of the nations. And so um, we believe that uh, it's incumbent upon us as the body of Christ to uh, mobilize the whole body of Christ, not just those with vocational religious worker callings, but yes. um, all professions. So that, that's one huge trend. Uh, another trend is um, the movement of uh, the peoples of the world to urban areas. Back in, uh, I think, uh, 1900, they say about 3% of the world uh, was urban. Mm -hmm. uh, by 1950, I think it was uh, something like 14%. Mm -hmm. uh, by the year 2000, we crossed for the first time 50% of the world's population lives in urban areas. And it's estimated that by 2025, roughly 70% of the world's population will be urban. So that's a huge trend. Wow, sure is. Uh, going from tribal and rural uh, to urban. And um, so that needs to inform uh, how we approach missions. Uh, another one that um, is not particularly a trend in mission, but it is a trend in our world, and that is the, the incredible explosion of technology, which has changed uh, everything. Yes. Um, I look back to when I, uh, my wife and I went uh, to France in 1988, and um, if you had told me back then, so uh, about 29 years ago, that the day would come when I could carry a thousand books 
on something the size of a notepad, I would have said, you're crazy. <laughs> sure. Uh, if you had told me back then that I would be able to send a letter, or a thousand letters for that matter, at absolutely no cost, with no envelope, no stamp, no trip to the post office, and then my reader, the, a split second after I sent that letter, would be able to read it, I'd say, that, that that's that's just not possible. I mean, <laughs> the post office would go out of business. Uh -huh. uh, and, and there are all kinds of trends like that. If you had told me that I would be able to fly down the highway at 70 miles an hour and speak my destination and a voice from the cloud would tell me how to get there, I'd say that, that that's hocus pocus. That's, <laughs> that's, that's not possible. But yet, if you had told me back then, 29 years ago that our approach to reaching the world in 2017 would be virtually the same, I would have said, well, of course. Is there any other way? And I say that to say how much the world has changed and yet how little in some respects we have changed in our approach. And I think technology is one of the things that demands that we change our approach, as is the trend of, of the closing door to traditional entry, yes. as is the trend of uh, the growth in urban population. So those are a few of the trends that I see. Oh, those are, those are very thought-provoking. It's to not change the message, of course, but to change the container within which it's held. And uh, that's so true. Maybe you could speak a little bit about the flow of international students from the country of origin to where they would study at a university. Another uh, incredible trend that you actually bring up there, um, not just the migration of peoples to the cities, but the migration of peoples all over the world from one nation to another. And um, international students coming to our country uh, is, uh, represents, a, I believe, the most strategic opportunity uh, for the church in the West, uh, for those who uh, feel called of God to stay here in the West, it represents uh, the most strategic opportunity. We have these, the cream of the crop yes. comes to our universities to study, and um, m many of them will return to their countries of origin to become the leaders in those countries. Yes, And uh, they tell us that 80% of students who uh, come to North American universities, for example, to study, 80% of them will never see the inside of an, of an American's home. And, and I wow. say that is a lost opportunity because they are hungry for friendship sure. in, the, in the countries that are receiving them. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dale, for your insight into some significant trends in world mission. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of history, you are the Lord of redemption, and that whereas these paradigm shifts that are somewhat staggering to us, not seeing them ahead of time, uh, are staggering, to you they are not. That you are wanting those uh, technologies to be redeemed uh, in a figurative way, baptized into the cause of winning disciples across the nations. Help us, Lord, uh, wherever we find ourselves to be flexible and creative and um, to seize the opportunities that you put before us to share our Lord and then to help people who trust him to follow him well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, 
Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.